morning, everybody. How's everybody feeling? You guys good? John, don't forget to switch up my thing. I love you guys so much. Listen, it has been such a joy uh, to be with you. For all of you who are tuning in online, welcome home once again and make yourself at home. And everybody in the room, good morning, everybody. Listen, my name is Matt. My wife, Jack, and I were the lead pastors here at Fountain Church. And uh, we know that we have been in a wild time. And uh, I'm excited to, to preach to you part two of a message series that we've entitled Church in the Wild. And I want to speak to you a little bit around this idea today of I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Just go ahead and shout it out, bold caps. I didn't see it coming. Come on, tell your neighbor right now. I didn't see it coming. Let me pray for you. You're like, I didn't see it coming. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together, Lord. This is such a, jo a joy to, to, to preach your word. And so I pray that, Lord, that every word from my mouth would be from your heart. God, we haven't come here to play church. If we're online or at work or wherever we're at, we didn't show up, God, just to simply go through a, a motion or a ritual. God, we came to encounter you in a real way. And so, Lord, would you speak to our hearts today? illuminate our minds to your word, and I pray that you would transform us more and more into the image of the Son, Holy Spirit, that we'd be more like you, Jesus, in all that we are, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, listen, I think it's really interesting as we've been talking about church in the wild. We've been talking a little bit about wildlife, and there's just some things that are a little bit predictable in the wild, like, for example, uh, the, the predator and prey. This is just kind of expected, right? Like if you go on National Geographic or if you log on to uh, Animal Planet, at some point you're just going to see pre uh, predators attacking prey, right? And I think it's also a little bit predictable nowadays as we see moments like this. That, that for some reason people think they're lion whispers and, you know, it's tiger whispers. And it goes well for a season, Right? And then all of a sudden, one day, they're like, I didn't see it coming. Like, I don't, I don't even know what happened. Well, you're in the pen with a lion. I mean, that's a little bit predictable. But then I, I think there's moments that we just don't see coming. Like, all this stuff is predictable. When animals attack, we know that people get around animals today, and they're very bold, and they're very courageous. Like I told you, I'm going shark diving next year. So excited about that with great white sharks. The pastor is crazy. Um, but, but there's some things like this that we just never saw coming. You guys remember when this hit the news? Oh, man, it was, it was so much fun. I know. Is he priming it or loving it? What is? It's debatable. But, but we saw that this particular event, for some reason, this lion adopted this deer. And kept him safe and protected him from other lions. And this little deer would follow the lion around like it was its mom. And we stop and we're all like, oh, this is so cute. And in our minds, we're like, that's not the way things normally work. Like, at what point do you go from licking the head to, you know, I am a little bit hungry. I'm so glad you've been traveling with me all these, these years. But, but I, I think we look at this and there, it, it feels a little upside down. Some of you might have even thought, man, is this photoshopped? Is this real? Is this like, because that's not how the animal kingdom normally works, right? It's, it's not typical. It's not predictable. Something like this, you would never see it coming. It's upside down. And I would propose to you that the kingdom of God 
is also upside down. In fact, in the book of Acts, it's so interesting, Acts chapter 17, the, the, the leaders of the day, they weren't really sure what to do with the apostles because, I mean, the game was changing. Christ is being preached. People are getting saved by the thousands. And there's this moment in time where the, the rulers say, yeah, those guys in Acts 17 that turned the world upside down are now here with us. And you can call it upside down or right side up, but the bottom line is that the leaders of the day were looking and saying, what is, like what in the world? I, I never saw, I never saw this coming. And I, I would propose to you that the kingdom of God, it's, it's, a, it's a countercultural kingdom. It's not a subcultural kingdom, it's a countercultural kingdom. Right, I, I mean, think about this. In every aspect of our culture or world today, you need something of value in order to get in, right? Like if you want to go to a movie, what do you need? You need a ticket and money, right? Money to buy a ticket, right? <laughs> popcorn, you need popcorn. You need, yeah. You need. It's very true, but you need something of value to obtain those things, right? If you want to get into college, you better have the resume or the test scores or the grades. You better have something of value. If you want to get that job, your portfolio better be what it needs to be for that moment, your experience. you got to bring something to the table. But, but in Christianity, in the kingdom of God, it, it's, it's a complete reversal of that. It's not until you realize that, that you have nothing to offer. It's not until you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt and are in desperate need of a Savior that you actually get real life and the power of God. And then Jesus just says crazy things like, bless those who curse you. Pray for those that persecute you. Oh, by the way, if your enemy is hungry, go ahead and give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink as well. Right? The, the last will be first. Like, if you want to be the greatest leader, you've got to become the servant of all. Oh, don't forget Romans chapter 12, right? How do we overcome evil? You overcome evil with evil, right? No, no, no. Jesus said, or Paul said, no, no, you overcome evil with good. Like, what? What? And I think if we're honest, as I say those things, they preach really well. Like, it sounds poetic, doesn't it? You want to be first, you got to be last. Right? Feed your enemy. But then we find ourselves in those moments where that's actually applicable and we feel the tension. Like, like we, we feel the, yeah, but. We, we feel the, the need to try to justify our way out of it. We feel the, 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 the tension around this because it contradicts how we feel. It contradicts what's popular, the popular norm. Like that goes completely against the grain, doesn't it? It's just so interesting. And there, there was this guy in Luke chapter 10. He was a lawyer. He was an expert in the law. And he comes to Jesus, and he's about to find himself in this tension. Because he comes very confident, like he thinks he's going to trap Jesus, trying to put Jesus in a position to get him to violate the law. You know, and he's an expert in this field. You know how when you're an expert in your field, you got a little swag to you. You're pretty confident. You've already built out the arguments in your mind. And then Jesus just messes that stuff up. He just totally messes it up. So this, this lawyer comes to Jesus in Luke chapter 10. It says, on one occasion, the expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And he said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit 
eternal life. Like, what, what, more, what value do I need to add? And he's probably pretty confident that I'm already doing all this stuff, but I'm just, you know, testing Jesus, right? So Jesus re- replies, and he says, what is written in the law? He replied, well, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Oh, and don't forget, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this guy responds, and he says, or Jesus says, you've answered correctly to this man. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So now we're seeing a little bit into the motive of the man's heart. So he asked Jesus, oh, who is my neighbor? Like, that's a really a horrible question for the moment. Like, a proper question would have been, how can I be a loving neighbor? That would have been an appropriate question. But he's trying to justify himself, and he's probably feeling really confident. And he's trying to see, you know, is there any way that I can exclude some and make some non-neighbors? But at the very same time, in his culture, he was only responsible to his neighbors in his village, in the temple. And so he's feeling really confident at this moment, like, I, I have already done this, Jesus. Like, I'm an expert in the law. You, you don't think I, I don't know what this is? And, and, and I imagine for a moment that he's feeling so confident and Jesus is seeing right through it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you, you're right. When it comes to your village, man, you're crushing it, bro. Like, the temple, you're doing great. But that's, nor, that, that's, that's a, simply a worldly compassion. Like, everybody has that to some degree. But Jesus is like, man, I, I want to open up your eyes to a, to a kingdom compassion. I, I want you to, I want to I turn your perspective upside down. I, and I know you never saw this coming, but let me just show you that you're not totally thinking right. Because right now you are very comfortable in your skin. Like you are very comfortable. You are so confident as you are approaching me. The son of God, the audacity, right? The son of God. Like you're comfortable. But let me invite you to understand that kingdom compassion is, it's uncomfortable. Like like the compassion that, that you kind of exude, like, yeah, it can be uncomfortable at times for sure. But kingdom compassion, it's really uncomfortable. And and I would propose that God is calling us to a very uncomfortable compassion. And I think that compassion is uncomfortable. Why? Because it it does a couple of things. Compassion disrupts you. It disturbs you. Jesus said that there's so many passages where it said Jesus was moved by compassion. And it literally means like this this tightening, this, this, this angst in your bowels. That is so strong that it compels you to a place of action. And that's disturbing. When you just feel the pain to such a degree, it's like, oh, I gotta respond. I gotta do something with this. It disrupts kingdom compassion, it's messy. I have the privilege of being in uh, the birth room for all three of my kids. And can I just tell you, I thought after the first one it was gonna be easy. But every single time, to see my wife in that much pain is like, it's, it's the most horrible thing. I get it why some guys are like, I can't. I just can't. I'm going to be in the waiting room. 
And I don't think it's necessarily just because of the blood, even though there's a lot of blood, there's a lot of stuff like, what is that, right? And uh, there's a lot of things. It's, it's, it's a very interesting time. But I think it's because I can't stand to see somebody that I love in so much pain. It's disturbing. It's, it's, it messes me up inside. It's disrupting. And I, I, just, I just can't, I can't bear that weight. It's, it's just so hard for me to do that. Compassion is uncomfortable. Compassion enters, kingdom compassion enters into uncomfortable spaces. It just does. Like, like when the protest came to, uh, to Pleasanton. Now, you got to understand, it would have been so easy just not to go. Right, that would have been the most comfortable thing to do. Anytime I go this direction, I hear the room just gets quiet. Like, where is he going? <laughs> just bear with me, relax. And it was so interesting to me is, is I had this, this angst. I, I love our city. I love our church. I love the people in our city. I'm a chaplain for the police department. It gets thick, right? And 2,000 people are coming to our city. Our, our doors have never closed. Our, you know, our, our church has always been open, but our physical doors were closed. And I'm like, I got an opportunity to go be with 2,000 people and to be a light in the midst of people that are frustrated, people that, some, some that are angry, some that, that are in pain, some that just want to be like, hey, what's going on? Let's just be a part of it, right? And I get an opportunity to be in that mix, but, but the uncomfortableness is like, I'm a pastor and I'm trying to build bridges, but it's like, if I do this and what if somebody thinks this, or what if they think I'm aligned with that, or what if they think, and then I don't want to burn other bridges in it. And that's why it's so important in the hour that we're in is to know your identity in Christ. Because then you don't have to worry about anything, just keep it biblical. And, and just do and go and move how Jesus would. And so I got to go, I got, I got to, to pray for people there, I got, I got, I got to to lament and mourn with some in our church that I knew. It's so, it's so cool when they're like, your pastor came? Like, dang. <laughs> and I, I got to spend some time with some officers, praying for them, dialoguing, and this was the, this was the, the, the thing. The, the question was, where's the church? They're like, man, we're so grateful you're out here. Where are the pastors? So I'm able to pray with people, and, and I'm telling you, it's so not comfortable as a pastor in this time. But I look at the story as Jesus continues, and it says that there was a man that was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. How many of you guys know it's a mess? It, it's, it's, not, it's not, definitely not kosher, Right? And a priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. It was so easy for me in the moment just to tuck away in my little building and just let it pass. But kingdom compassion, it... It doesn't work like that. And I got to pray with some people that were hurting. One, one story that says I was walking back, this older lady, we were, we were both walking back to our cars. I was going to fish with Pastor Chase. And, and I just said, how are you doing? How are you processing all this? This, this broke my heart. She said, man, I, you know, I'm just, you know, what do you say? And she said, but I, I tried to talk to my pastor, and he wouldn't talk to me about the situation. He said it was too political. And I was like, 
And so then I try to encourage them. I'm like, listen, it's complicated for us right now. Like, give some grace. Don't let any divide come in between. Like, have another conversation. Just let them know how you feel. But it's like, I know it's so much easier, guys, in hours like this just to go on the other side. You know, and let's get the, the, the priest. I mean, he's not supposed to come in touch with dead things, right? It's, it would be considered unclean or defiled. So maybe he's walking around, across the road, and, and this is a, a Jewish person to a Jewish person. This is, this is his compassion in general. It has nothing to do with race or anything like that. And, and he's looking, and, and the priest is like, I don't know if he's dead. I mean, that, that could have been where he's at. I don't want to undefile myself. Or maybe he's like, maybe there's robbers in the area. Like, I'm just going to get my little priest butt home, right? But nevertheless, Jesus is expressing a heartlessness. And this is what breaks my heart. This is what really wrecks me, is that Jericho was a place where a majority of priests lived. They would go up to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship, to perform all of their, their ceremonies and their glorious robes, and they would come back home to Jericho. And so, so the chances are is that both this priest and this Levite, now the Levite was in charge of the liturgy. The Levite was, was the guy that made sure that the liturgy was policed, that service is being executed. He was like the production coordinator, right? Just making sure that it's happening right. And so they're both probably coming from a moment of ritual, yet heart is not moved toward righteousness. I'm like, God, let that never be us as a church where we're so good at our rituals, but it produces no righteousness in our hearts to where we're just afraid of like, oh, what's going to happen? Listen, it's uncomfortable. Kingdom compassion is just uncomfortable. And Jesus was constantly ridiculed, right, for healing on the Sabbath. They're like, that doesn't fit our ritual. Jesus is like, it doesn't fit mine. It fits mine. Like, you've missed it not thinking right about this there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end it leads to death and so 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 jesus was just had this habit of going to the other side that's who he was i, I mean you remember when he told his disciples get into the boat we're going to the other side see most of us read that we're like cute they're going for a boat ride to the other side of the lake but we know that in the area of the garrisons it was gentile territory and Jews and gentiles they just they had nothing in common they didn't associate, and we know that it was Gentile territory because there were a ton of pigs when they got to the other side, and they don't, you know, Jewish people at the time, they don't, they don't do any bacon. And so, so imagine, imagine the disciples. For us, we read, oh, they're going to the other side, and the disciples are like, where are they going? You want to go where, Jesus? And then they get into the boat to make it worse. They get caught in a storm. It's like, man, I knew this was a bad idea. I don't know if this guy Jesus can be trusted. Maybe this is a sign from God saying we shouldn't go. And then they get to the other side, and they're met with a demon-possessed man who had a ton of demons. Why the other side? Because there's a compassion inside of Jesus. Like Jesus knows that man has been in the tombs cutting himself. Knows that he's been bound and shackled, and it's the side. we got to go to the other side. And what happens? This guy gets set free. And then the next time Jesus comes back to the region, like the whole town comes out because they saw the freedom of this man. And it, and, and it, it impacted the entire town, the entire region. This man begged to go with Jesus, and Jesus said, no, man, you got to stay home, man. Go tell your story. People need to see it. And so, so you could get this, this picture. Jesus was constantly breaking through barriers, constantly putting the disciples in uncomfortable spaces. Not in the name of rebellion, 
but in the name of compassion. You know, I, I started to, to, to just think through a, a lot of different things in regards to Jesus. Jesus was accused of a lot. Jesus went to a lot of places, and he, he never kind of, he never really gave an explanation. But, but people were always like this. Oh, he's in Zacchaeus' house. If he only knew who that man was. Jesus is like, I know exactly who he is. That's why I came. Like, I'm on mission here. There may be agendas. There may be things happening. There may be all this going on, but... I'm here to reach people. And so, so I just know that in the space and in the time that we're in, we're headed toward more difficult, uncomfortable seasons. So if we could just get moved, if, if we can have a compassion that would move us toward this, I'm just telling you, man, that the game could totally change. We cannot be a church that simply crosses to the other side. Now, now let me make this clear. I'm not even just talking about the latest headlines. I'm, just, I'm talking about everything. There, there are so many aspects of brokenness right now that transcends just, you know, what we're hearing over and over and over. There is a lot happening. There are a lot of curves now that have came as a result of this other curve. And there, there's a lot going on, ladies and gentlemen. And I hear it, see it, feel it in the thick of it all the time. And I'm so grateful and privileged that God has called us to be in this space. It's uncomfortable. It's challenging. Oh, but it's so necessary. It's so necessary. And so, so if that's going to happen, we got to begin to see people different. Because right now, it's, it's just there's, there's so much division, like we talked about last week. There's so much tension. People are in pain. People are responding. They're not even responding anymore. They're reacting. I mean, it's, there's just a lot going on. And so like Paul we got to learn to stop evaluating others from a human point of view. we got to start to see something different. we got to start seeing people not based on human standards or evaluate them based off human standards. And, and Paul, listen, he wasn't so good at this when he was a religious leader. Like before he got saved, Paul was not like this at all. Matter, matter of fact, Paul was a proud Pharisee, full of his own opinions and biases and, and prejudices. Paul had so much hatred, but when he got saved, all of that stuff gave way to love. And now he's compelled, and he's like, I don't even care. Like, if you are Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, rebel, slave, free, I'm just compelled. I'm compelled. And the agenda is that there's so much happening beneath the surface. I'm not just evaluating from a human perspective. He used to view Christ from a human perspective, and it, it led him to persecute the church. How many of you guys know that our perspective can be skewed if we're not careful? And listen, I'm not trying to make any underlying points today. Just so you know, I'm just preaching the gospel. And so, so get, get this in, in your mind. Paul is, is, is wrestling through all of this, and he's trying to help us to see that there was once a time that I even thought of Christ from a human point of view. However, I see him a whole lot differently now. I'm seeing beyond the surface. And he goes on to say, he says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come 
back to God. But, but hey, but listen, listen, hold on, before you clap, how can we preach that message? Like, how can we reconcile if we're not in the gap? Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you bring something together unless you enter into the brokenness? I'm talking like some of you married couples, there's some brokenness, and you're just avoiding it, and God's like, step into the gap. Like, I want to bring some reconciliation. Some, some of you with your kids today, there's been brokenness, there's been a divide, and, and God's like, don't avoid it, don't pretend like everything's okay, step into the gap. I know it's uncomfortable, I know it's messy, I know it feels a little, step into that gap. Maybe it's a friend right now. That you just need to step into the gap. Can I just ask you, who is on your other side? Who is on the other side of your comfort? There's somebody on the other side of your comfort that desperately needs this message of reconciliation. And God has called us to step into the space. The second thing is this. It's not only uncomfortable, but kingdom compassion is costly. It's going to cost you something. And let me break this down. The Samaritan, as he journeyed where he was, he saw the man. So like the Levite and the priest, he saw the man. But he didn't go to the other side. It says that he had compassion. Now, this is, this is so crazy. It's because, you know, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And this word compassion is the same compassion that is used when Jesus had compassion. So it's almost like this Samaritan has more godly compassion than the priest and the Levite. Well, ex that's exactly what it's saying. So, so Jesus is making this real thick. Like, like your enemy has the proper compassion. Like he is fulfilling the law in a way that you should. Oh, so you know it's getting real. So he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, right? And then he set him on his own animal. Just look at the sacrifice and look at the, the audacity that just doesn't come and, hey, man, you good? Like, you all right? You need anything? <laughs> Pick him up. Man, get something out of your bag. Put him on your little steed. And then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and it was there that he took care of him. And it says, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you. Can I just tell you, kingdom compassion will cost you. It will cost you, and it goes the extra mile. One of my favorite authors is a man by the name of Henry Nouwen. He's great on the Christian life. And he tells a story. He was growing up in World War II in Holland, and it was kind of toward the end of the war. There was a famine in the land. People were starving. And his dad bought him this goat. And he named the goat Walter. Right? Throw that in the chat. Walter. Named the goat Walter. And he treated this goat like he, he raised it. He took it everywhere. I mean, kind of a, a little bit of an escape from the, the chaos around him. Right? He's a 13-year-old boy at the time. And, and so he... He played with them, he, he trained them, he built this little cage for them in the garage. And then one day he woke up in the morning and Walter was gone, he'd been stolen. And he said that he cried so bad. Like his parents didn't even know how to console him, it was so deep, he loved this thing so much. And later after the war was over and they had food again, his dad told him, he said, I, I know what happened to your goat. He said the gardener took it. And he took it to feed his family. And he said, I, I knew that he did, but I didn't confront him. He said, I knew your, your grief, son. I knew your grief. 
but they were hungry. And he said that day, he learned something about compassion from his dad and from Walter. That compassion will cost you. That real compassion will cost you. I mean, it'll cost you some pain. Compassion is going to, listen, God is going to move you to forgive in a lot of different ways. But can, you, can I tell you, forgiveness always requires suffering because you're absorbing a debt. And especially if it's a big debt. It's hard to absorb that debt. If you don't have the gospel in Christ and all that he's done in mind for you when you're forgiving, it's really too hard. When you see that he's paid a debt that you can never pay, it's a whole lot easier to forgive somebody a debt that they can never repay. Like, like you got to have the gospel in mind. But it, compassion will cost you. It will cost you some awkward moments, some awkward feelings, especially when it comes to friendships. Look at this in uh, Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him that he's at fault. And do it between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So Jesus said the goal here, when somebody sinned against you, is to gain him back. Not to be like, see, it's to gain him back. So he said, go have a private conversation. But if your brother doesn't listen, take two others along. This is like a small group confirmation, right? Take two other people along because maybe you're missing it. Maybe you're not seeing it correctly. But if they confirm it, then it says, and if he still doesn't turn, tell the church. Like when you hear this preach, right? Tell the church, and then if he still doesn't, let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector to you. Meaning, there's a whole other passage Paul talks about, turn him over to the enemy that his flesh might be destroyed and his soul might be saved. But I want you to get this picture. This is very disturbing to us, but it's very compassionate toward the man. It's very uncomfortable for us, but very compassionate toward the man. Like, like the Lord is saying, I am so concerned with the destructiveness, the deceitfulness, and the brokenness of sin that I am willing to send my entire bride after that person to say there's a much better way. See, we always read this through like a judgment and condemnation because many times that's been our experience, but that's not the goal. The goal is that the whole church is saying, we love, man, we love you. God has got something so much better for you, and that is destroying your life. And Paul said later in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 5, he said that when somebody was in, caught in sexual sin, they were sleeping with their stepmother, he said, you guys haven't done anything about it in the church. He holds a church responsible, and he calls them arrogant, and he says, your pride is blinding you, essentially, and you should be mourning over this man's sin. Like, that's real compassion. Oh, but it's so uncomfortable. It'll cost you. Real compassion will, will cost you. It'll, it'll cost you some time. You know, woe to you teachers of the law, Jesus said to you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. They, like they were tithing. Now listen, we don't need mint, dill, or cumin, so don't get any ideas, all right? Um, we got to contextualize here. But he says, you've neglected the important matters of the law, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's like, man, you got your little church thing down. You, you know, you even given a little in the offering plate. But, but justice and mercy and faithfulness, that, that requires time. It's messy. That's an invest. It's going to cost you to deal with those things a little bit. And he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So if you're wondering if Jesus validates tithing in the, in the New Testament, there it is. Um, just throwing it out there for you. Uh, you guys have been so incredibly generous. We, we love you guys. But, but in order to have, in order for any of this, we see this beautiful picture that this Samaritan had margin. The Samaritan had margin. 
And, and when you look in the book of Leviticus, where Jesus and the, the religious expert, their dialogue in between this passage of love your neighbor as yourself, it's found first in Leviticus chapter 19, and it's, it's coupled with this, this strange verse. And this verse says this, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It's the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vine and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. In other words, this, leave some margin for generosity. Leave some margin for mission. Leave some margin in your life for compassion. I don't, don't push it all the way to the end. Leave some margin for justice and mercy and faithfulness. But in order to do that, we're going to have to learn to say no. We're going to have to learn to say no to some things so we can say yes to other things, right? Because isn't it so crazy how many things that we say yes to? Even during COVID, it's been in a time where activity has ceased, but a lot of us are still just as busy. Whether it's surfing on the internet, whether it's, we just replaced it with something else, right? But, but the reality is this, is that we have to learn to say no. We have to learn how to say no to something so that we can say yes to other things or essential things. And, and I, I want you to, to get this, this picture in your mind. You know, I know that sometimes, like, it, our, our lives are consumed by a lot. Now that things have shut down, I think it's a great time for evaluation. Because sometimes, what do we do? I know, I got like this weird music behind me, like, do, 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 that's good. Let's go. We ride in the back and, you know. Uh, so, uh, but but this, this, this is, this is the, the picture in your mind that I want you to hear is that, that a lot of times we've said yes to things that are great things. Like, we, like let me take our kids for example. We want our kids, we want our kids to, to actually thrive and we don't want them to miss out on anything that we've, we have, right? Like that we've missed out on. So we book you, like they're in every sports league, they're in every, you know, we're going to Disneyland, we're going camping, we're going, we're going every, we got so much going on. And then we wonder why sometimes at that college they walk away from their faith. And it's like, well, what happened? Well, we just invested in everything that we told them was essential. We didn't, we didn't talk about compassion. We didn't talk about the kingdom. We didn't invest our lives on mission. And then we wonder, like, man, what is going on? And so we got to learn to say no to something so we can say yes to the right things. And lastly is this, is that kingdom compassion confuses the darkness. It just confuses the darkness. This guy goes on and he says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let me give you this picture in your mind. This is a, Jesus put this guy in such a bind. He tried to get Jesus in a bind. Jesus put him in the bind. So much so that he had to say the Samaritan was the right one. Because he knows that if his wife was on the other side of the story, he'd want that Samaritan to help his wife. But he doesn't even have the nerve to say Samaritan. He's just the third one. You got me. Third one. And it's like, that's confusing to darkness. God's kingdom compassion is confusing to darkness. He, he was forced to say that, he, that the Samaritan was the hero. And can I just tell you, kingdom compassion, it softens hearts. It changes um, uh, biases. It, it destroys prejudice. It tears down walls. 
when we begin to engage with the kingdom in the book of Acts, I mean, they were blown away. If they had, if they saw somebody in need, the church would say, let us help you meet it. And the world's just like, what? And this is a historical fact. I wonder how the church grew in the Roman Empire so rapidly. It was through kingdom compassion. Emperor Julian was trying to bring paganism back to arise, and he built all these temples, and nobody was showing up. And he's like, what is wrong with these Christians? And he noticed, and the Greek take care of the Greek poor, Jews take care of the Jewish poor, Romans take care of the Roman poor, but the Christians take care of all the poor. And he's like, like we don't stand a chance against these guys. I'm telling you, it changes Kingdom compassion can change an entire region. It can change an entire empire. It confuses darkness. Darkness doesn't know what to do with it, and it lights the light of life in such a way where everything changes. So let me leave you with this. Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This is not a message where I want you to leave, and you're like, all right, kingdom compassion, baby, right? That'll last about a week. See, the, the reality is, as many of us, we saw one of ourselves in, in this story somewhere, but, but the proper way to see ourselves is not as the Levite, is not as the priest, not even the man asking the question. The proper place is to see us. And what Jesus was trying to help this man see is not that there's a new rule, but there's, there's a new reality. And, and, and the new reality was this, is that this man was on the side of the road, and that man is you and I. And the real hero of the story is not the Samaritan, it's Christ. And when you can see how uncomfortable Christ became to reach you, like stepping out of heaven into bodily form as a servant, that's pretty uncomfortable. And when you can see how much it cost him as he shed his blood on the cross that you and I might have life, that you and I, listen, absorbing the wrath of God so you and I would never have to endure that, which we couldn't, be consumed by it. And we watch how he confused the darkness. People who were insane could think again demons were cast out of people, the sick were healed. And you know how many times it says, you know, some, some scholars say that, that Jesus only healed because he was trying to, to confirm his deity. And I believe that that is true, but it's not only true. It says that he was moved with compassion over and over and over. Listen, we know that he is who he says he is. He is who he says that he is. And can I tell you, his compassion has not ceased. And when you can see his compassion toward you, as Paul said, view of his mercies, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Paul said, it will be very reasonable in light of what he's done for us. If we keep that before us every single day, in other words this, I don't want you to go out just try to see people. I want you to leave here and just look at Jesus. If your eyes are on him, you'll get disturbed in your bowels for everything you see, and you'll be motivated to an action that it doesn't matter anything. I just need to, I just need to go. And step into the brokenness with the message of reconciliation that the world might be changed forever. Let me pray for us. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for all that you've done. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you, you saw us on the side of the road and you didn't go to the other side. Lord, you stayed the course. You, you endured. You suffered in our place, many of which we didn't deserve. While we were in our sin, you died for us. While, while all the rebuttals that we can make for serving other people, Lord, you have all those and then some, and you still stopped. Let us not forget the grace of God that saved a wretch like me. 
Listen, if you're listening to my voice, whether in person or online, and you say, Pastor, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe you've been wrestling. Maybe, maybe you've been going through a lot of rituals, but there's no transformation in your life. Can I just tell you that my God loves you so much. If you feel like that person on the side of the road, and you may not look all beat up, and you may look like you have it all together, but on the inside, you know you're that, you're that man, you're that woman. That's in desperate need of Jesus to stop. Well, can I just tell you, he knows your name. And you're listening to my voice because he wants to tend to your needs. And the greatest need of all is knowing him. So if that's you and you say, Pastor, I, just, I need to know God, would you pray this commitment prayer with me? And then we want to follow up with you and help you grow in your relationship with God. It's not a magical prayer. It's just a commitment prayer that says, Lord, I surrender today. Just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for not leaving me on the road. Thank you for rising from the dead. You are alive, and I trust you. I confess my sin to you. Forgive me. I confess you as my Lord, and I renounce the reins of my life, and I give them to you. Fill me with your spirit and the kingdom compassion that I would be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on.